No problems. So we'll see. <laughs> and uh, Lorraine's sitting there thinking, how on earth does the Deuteronomy passage relate to what we're going to talk about today? So hopefully to tie all those threads together, uh, we'll see how we go without sort of running to a couple of hours. So... <laughs> Oh, you should have seen your looks in your faces. <laughs> okay, let's just uh, pray for it. Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that as we uh, open it up and look at the Old Testament today, that you would show us how it is relevant to our lives and what we can learn from it and apply it to ourselves. So we pray that we'd listen with open ears and open hearts and take on board what you want to teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's begin with stories. Have you ever wondered how important stories are in our life? I think I can safely say that we all enjoy a good story. Whether it's reading a book or watching a movie or listening to someone sharing an experience or even telling a good joke. Most people would prefer to read a good novel than rather than read a textbook or an instruction manual. Is that right, Steve? Yeah, Steve agrees. <laughs> because, and the reason is stories actually capture our imagination and they can transport us to another world or other places. Stories enable us to see something from other people's perspective, to enter into other people's experiences. And stories are an important part of learning and sharing, particularly about our history and our culture. Stories help us to get to know other people as we share our life experiences with one another. The reality is we all have a story to tell. And no matter how uneventful, how boring your life may seem to you, you, I, we all have a story to tell and it's worth listening to. You see, stories are an important means of communication. We actually remember a story far easier than just a whole series of facts and figures. For example, most people will find it easier to remember a story that a preacher tells to illustrate a point rather than the point that they were trying to make. So I'm not going to tell you any stories today. (laughs) But that is the reason the Bible is so full of stories. In fact, the Bible is just one great big story. And it's the story of God's relationship with human beings, with mankind. And over the course of this last term, we've been looking at the story of the Old Testament and we've been using Stuart's incredible, marvellous, wonderful Bible timeline. It should be pretty familiar to you now. And this timeline highlights the main events and themes of the Old Testament. And today we're going to look very briefly at the last two, the exile of Israel to Babylon and the return of the Jews to Israel. But apart from being a part of the Bible story, what we need to ask ourselves, what, if anything, has this got to do with us and how is it relevant to us? Always good to ask that question 
when we're reading the Bible. You see, when we read the Bible, we find that, particularly the Old Testament part of the Bible, we find it recounts the history of the people of Israel. It's their experience, their history. And we find repeated passages which encourage the people to remember their story and how God interacted with them over the years. But the important thing for us to appreciate, to realise, to understand is that whilst this is the story of Israel, it's also our story. And it's our story as believers in Jesus. So as it was important for the Israelites long ago to know their story, to remember their story, it's just as important for us to know this story as well. Why? Because the Bible story reveals two important things about God. It reveals his character, who he is, what he's like, his person. And secondly, his purposes in creating... That slide went wrong. His purposes in creating the world, in fact, and creating us to live in this world. And we discover that God is a relational God. He is God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a three-person God. And God created people to have a relationship with him, a relationship of praise, of worship, of love. It's a heart relationship. And God, that God also makes promises, and he keeps the promises they make. These are things we learn about God as we read through the Bible, that God is also a God of justice, a God of judgment. There will be an accounting. You see, God sets the rules. He, sets the, he gives us commands and he establishes boundaries for, our, for us to live by. There is salvation and blessing for those who obey the rules and uh, there is punishment for those who disobey, those who rebel against God. Because, bottom line is, God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. <clears throat> Pardon me. So God created the world. That's how the Bible begins. God creates the world. And he creates human beings who are to rule the earth as his ambassadors, as his agents. However, the people God created broke the one negative command. The one negative command that God gave them. And God punished them by expelling them from the Garden of Eden. This is how the story begins, Genesis 1, 2 and 3. Then we find God judging the people in Noah's time for their depravity. And yet, by his grace, he saves Noah and his family from the destruction in the flood. Then we move on to about Genesis 12 where God calls Abraham and promises, well actually it's Abram at the start wasn't it? He calls Abram and promises to make him into a great nation. A people with their own land, their own country with the purpose, the express purpose of being a blessing to all mankind, to all nations. Abraham was blessed by God to be a blessing to others. And that was the purpose of the people of Israel, blessed to be a blessing. 
So that establishes God's covenant relationship. Okay? There were conditions. You need to obey my commands. Okay. Now it took another 500 years or so for Abraham's offspring to finally take possession of the promised land of Canaan. During that time, they had uh, moved to Egypt in a time of famine and stayed there, but they eventually became slaves in Egypt. And then they were rescued by the miraculous intervention of God. Remember the plagues of Egypt, which afflicted the Egyptians to the point that they said, we've had enough of you guys, go. And so we find uh, in the Exodus, they come to the border of the promised land, ready to enter. But they stuffed up again. And as a penalty, as a punishment, they had to spend another 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Then we touch down in the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, we come to Deuteronomy. (laughs) We have a 40-year time frame that's passed. And the Israelites are camped on on the eastern side of the River Jordan, preparing to cross the Jordan to take possession of this land that God had promised them. And it's here that Moses reminds the people of the laws of God. The laws that God gave the people at Sinai 40 years earlier. He says to remember how God acted miraculously to free you from Egypt, to bring you out of slavery. Indeed, if you read through Deuteronomy, it's a great read. We find this constant refrain. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done for you as a people. Remember your story. Remember your history. It is part of you. Remember it. You think these guys are pretty thick, but it's got to be repeated, but (laughs) we will see why. But Moses also encourages the people to worship and love the Lord by living in obedience to the laws he gave them. There's a relationship thing here. They need to remember the relationship. And then in chapter 28, Moses tells them of the blessings that will come their way if they obey God and also of the consequences or punishments that will result if they disobey God. In chapter 29 in Deuteronomy, Moses again reminds the people of their story and how God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It is here that God actually again renews his covenant with them. There are serious consequences for disobedience, even to the extent that they would be expelled from the promised land. So just listen. I'm sorry it's a bit small. We've had a great week. We've been minding grandchildren the last three nights and, of course, one of them has to sleep in my study so I haven't had access to the computer to (laughs) fix all this up. So bear with me. It's been one of those weeks. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, key passage. It says, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations... Just note there, take them to heart. This is a heart relationship we're talking about. It's just not obeying the commands and rules. It's a relationship of love. And verse 1, sorry. 
wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, the whole idea is that they will not actually stay in the land of Canaan. It then says, And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, note the heart and soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. If they obey, God will bring them back. Verse 4, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather, gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts, not just your bodies, and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. Live the life God wants his people to live with all its blessings. But it has, it's subject to obeying his commands and living within the boundaries he set. Goes on verse 7. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You again, you will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors, if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with, note the last phrase, all your heart and with all your soul. This passage actually sets the scene for the remainder of the Old Testament story and it helps us understand what subsequently happens to the people of Israel when they turn to worship idols and seek help from other nations and not from God. In fact, we can almost stop the Old Testament there because this is precisely what happens to the people of Israel over the next thousand years. The sad reality was that the people kept forgetting their allegiance to God as the true king and that they were to trust him and do, the th- do things his way. So that's the Old Testament. Uh, <laughs> but the story continues. We see how Israel invades the, the land of Canaan. But within a generation, we see how they forgot their story again and entered into a very unsettled time of the judges. We then read of the people wanting a king, like the other nations around them. And God gives them Saul. Saul didn't work out all that well, but his successor was King David. And under David and then his son Solomon, Israel actually became a great nation. However, through sin and rebellion, the nation was split into two around 930 BC. And so we ended up with the northern kingdom of Israel, in the blue there, and the southern kingdom was known as Judah. Over the next 200 years, the northern kingdom had 19 different kings, all of whom, I don't think that's too easy to read, all of them 
uh, were evil. They turned their back on God. They worshipped idols. They followed the practices um, of the nations around about them. They were finally invaded and defeated by the Assyrians in 722 BC. And most of the inhabitants were deported and dispersed across the Assyrian Empire. They lost their, their identity as a people. The Assyrians resettled the northern part of Israel with their own people and the area became known from then on as Samaria. The southern kingdom of, of Judah had 20 kings. Actually, they only had 19 kings because they had a, a queen. A number of these kings were faithful to God. Uh, the ones in blue there uh, are the good kings. Actually, I'll do this way. Yeah. I was hoping Stuart had seen that. He likes his graphs and stuff. So. Um, there were a number of good kings, and during the times of the top ones and the blue, there were times of revival and refreshment in Israel. Uh, but as you can see towards the right there, it uh, steadily declined um, towards the end. Uh, after the Assyrian Empire came the Babylonians. They conquered Assyria around 500, oops, 586 BC. Uh, when they destroyed, they uh, invaded Judah and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Solomon's magnificent temple was totally destroyed. And a large number of the people were exiled to Babylon, where they stayed for around 70 years. Now, it's important to appreciate this exile, uh, the Babylonians allowed the Jews to actually uh, keep their cultural identity. So they kind of lived in a Jewish, Jewish enclaves in Babylon and surrounding cities. So they kept their identity uh, in the exile, unlike the northern kingdom of Israel, where it was a totally total dispersion. Now just as a, uh, just overlapping all of this is the, the prophets. During the period of the kings, to the end of the Old Testament narrative, we find a whole series of prophets. I'm sure how easy that is to read, but they're up there. Their basic message, the important thing I want you to realise, their basic message was to challenge the sins of the people and to encourage them to repent and return to obeying God's commands. And their message was like a squeaky wheel. They encouraged people to remember their story. There's this refrain all the way through. Remember your history. Remember what God's done for you, how he's acted towards you in the past. And remember, folks, that God doesn't change. God makes promises that are bound up in the covenant he makes with people. And God keeps his promises. He is faithful to his word. You can trust him. But bound up in the covenant are not only blessings, but there are consequences for disobedience. And the, and the prophets were really ripping into, it, into the people because of their sin and disobedience and rebellion against God. Because God takes sin seriously and there will be a day of accounting, a day of judgment. So the Old Testament story illustrates and reinforces this message. Jumping into a bit of history, the Persians conquered the Babylonians in uh, five, around about 540 BC. 
And they, at this time, they allowed some of the Jews to return to Israel under Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel and the people who came with him had the express uh, intention of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem and to get it functioning again, to get it working. However, they met with a lot of opposition from the locals and it wasn't until 516 BC, 34 years later, that the temple was finally completed. It was a big job. It wasn't near as spectacular as Solomon's temple and many of the people who remembered Solomon's temple grieved that it, it just didn't live up to their expectations. But there was a lot of celebration. In fact, they had a temple where they could worship again. In 458 BC, another group under Ezra returned. Now, Ezra was a priest. He was very um, uh, diligent in studying the law. He knew the law. And he was very committed to, to keeping the law. And Ezra brought various reforms to the temple worship and he also sought to bring the province under Jewish rule, uh, Jewish law, sorry. However, he had limited authority and was frustrated in bringing this about. But in 432, a third group returned, led by Nehemiah, and he was chiefly responsible for rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Um, Nehemiah had greater authority than Ezra and he was able to implement a number of reforms during his time as governor. Now, the Ezra-Nehemiah period covers mm, something like 140 years down to 400 BC. It begins very expectantly with the permission to return and rebuild the temple. However, the book of Nehemiah actually ends on a note of profound disappointment that the measures instituted by these two reformers did not prevail. And at the close of the period, around 400 BC, we find that the, the priests were kind of the, the ruling authority in the land and their religion became very legalistic. And it's remained so for close to 450 years down to the time of Jesus. And we remember Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees and the uh, scribes, the Jewish elders. They all come out of this period of very legalistic adherence to the law. What were they forgetting? A heart relationship with God. They're remembering the rules and developing all lots of subsets of the rules to obey the law, but they forgot the reason for the law uh, to have a heart relationship with God. <coughs> Me. Now, the period of history covered by the Old Testament actually closes with Nehemiah. On the prophetic side, on the prophets, Malachi, sometimes known as the Italian prophet because you can pronounce his name Malachi, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets who very likely wrote during Nehemiah's time. And Malachi reminds us forcibly that the return from Babylonian exile did not fulfil all of Israel's hopes, that the people still fell far short of God's requirements for them. And again, we see that refrain in Malachi 4.4. Remember the law. Remember the law of my... What law? The law of my servant Moses, 
the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, for all Israel. He also reminds them that there is a hope for the future. When he says in verse, in verse chapter 3, verse 1, when suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. This is the messianic expectation. They were longing for a Messiah who would free them from the um, overbearing rulers of the land. They wanted to be independent. They wanted to be free to do what they wanted. They didn't want to be oppressed by different powers. And uh, so they were seeking some great military ruler like King David who uh, would once again establish Israel as a great nation. That's what they're looking for, that God sent Jesus in fulfilment of all these promises, but he was very different to what a lot of these Jews were looking for. But these passages linked with the opening passages of the New Testament, we find that devout Jews were still waiting for this consolation of Israel and the redemption of of, uh, Jerusalem in Luke chapter 2. Now, just to complete the big picture and complete the historical narrative, the period between the Old and New Testament saw some major shifts in political power and cultural influences. Why am I mentioning all this? Because it helps us to understand the background of the New Testament and of the time of Jesus. In the intertestamental period, we saw some major shifts in political power and cultural influences. The Jews were subject to Persian rule from the time of Cyrus's conquest in Babylon in 540 to the defeat of the last Persian king, who was Darius, by Alexander the Great in 330 BC. Then began for the Jews what is referred to as the Greek period. And for four centuries, the Jews were part of that cultural environment which came to be known as the Hellenistic period. They were ruled from Egypt and then ruled from Syria and then finally they were ruled from Rome. And had a sh- but during this time they had short periods of independence. Uh, little local rebellions gave them some freedom from the, uh, the overlords for short periods of time. But all the time they're exposed to what we call as, what we know as Hellenism. After Alexander's death in 323 BC, the Greek period was one of political turbulence and upheaval. In the century before Jesus, we find Rome rising to power and Judah became part of the province of well, the Roman province of Syria. And that happened when uh, the Roman general Pompey captured Jerusalem in 63 BC. Just as, as a note, the Romans were actually on the whole, fairly just and tolerant overlords and they made many concessions to the Jews. But the Jews hated the Romans with a passion simply because they were Gentiles ruling in God's land. (coughs) So, come back to our original question. Why is it important for us to know the Old Testament story? Why is it relevant to us and what can we learn from it? Well, I think firstly, we people too easily forget our story. 
we may wonder how, sometimes wonder how the people in the Old Testament times could so quickly turn away from God when time after time he miraculously intervenes to save them. But when we look closer, we see that there are often decades, if not centuries of time between when God acts and the people started turning away from him. But bringing it back into present day context, how much do you, can I ask, how much do you know about your family history? Your heritage? How much do you know about the life and times of your grandparents, for example? Or even perhaps your great-grandparents? Do you know how they lived? What they did? What challenges they faced in life? Were they people of faith? Most people struggle to be able to answer those questions. But that's only a couple of generations. And those lives have been forgotten, maybe except in name only. Secondly, we get too comfortable. See, when things are going well for us, we have enough money to spend and buy the things we want, we can enjoy. There's no, the pressures in life aren't there. Life is easy, life is good. It's comfortable. But where, where is God? Why, why do we need God? We find many people in that situation. They're just, they're in control of their lives and they don't really need, they'll see the need for a saviour, for God. But I think the next one is uh, a little bit more close to home. We get very busy with all sorts of things in our lives, things that crowd into our lives. We have family commitments. We have work responsibilities, which, as we get older, get bigger and time-consuming. We have church responsibilities and involvements. We serve here, we do this, we get it. It takes our time. We have social or sporting commitments. And what we find is God is often squeezed out. Actually, go that way. He's squeezed out of the picture of our lives. There's no time for God. He's either seen not to be needed or is irrelevant to what we do day by day. And going to church, congratulations, you're all here, which is great, but going to church actually knocks out a quarter of the precious time we have on our weekends. You know, if we're not constantly reminded and refreshed with God's story of his saving grace in our lives, we run the risk of forgetting what he has done by saving us from the consequence of our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. And so we need to be reminded that God wants a relationship with us. That's a heart relationship, a love relationship. We've been saved for that purpose have a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And we need to be reminded continually that he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can be a blessing to those around us. We need to remember the part that God has played in our lives to this time, both in our history as a collective people, as a church, and in our own personal encounter, our own personal walk, with God 
He's played a part in your life. And that is part of your story. It's part of our story. It's our heritage. And it's a heritage, a story we remind ourselves of frequently. And it's a story, a heritage we hope to pass down to our children. Why is the Old Testament relevant? It's God's story. It's also our story. Very much a part of our story as believers. So let us learn from the mistakes of the past. Let us learn from the blessings of the past. And let's not make the same mistakes that the people of Israel continually kept making. Instead, let's claim the promises of God and live our lives in obedience to his will and his purposes for us. Now, one of the ways we remember an important part of our story is to regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that in a moment. It's there that we're reminded of Jesus' death and resurrection and the impact that it has had on us as individuals and as his people. Just as coming to church every week, just as reading our Bibles regularly, just as being a part of a life group that meets week by week. This meal is a physical way of reminding us of the spiritual reality of God's presence in our lives, in our story. We need to be reminded as a people. We need to remember. Don't forget. And that's the message of the Old Testament. Remember, remember, remember. Do not forget the part God has played in your lives. Do not forget your story. Do not forget your history. It is God's as much as is ours. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Lord, we thank you that you've called us from darkness into light, that you've blessed us incredibly. We thank you, Lord, that we are part of your story and more importantly, that you are part of our story. Help us to remember, Lord, the great things you've done in our lives of bringing us to know you as our Lord and Saviour. Lord, help us to remember and to never, ever forget. In Jesus' name, amen.